Hello, this is producer Jake on the audio, and I'm doing something slightly different today. Whereas I'm doing an intro to my episode for a a few reasons. Um, I've never done this before, but I guess regarding this episode, I had my good friend Emily Roska on, and we were kind of vamping before the episode, and we kind of were catching up since we live in different states, and... And we didn't really have a very organic introduction to the podcast. So we kind of made the snap decision that I would just record it intro later to kind of give some context. So so that's cool. I've never done that before. So this is a new, maybe a newfound practice for how I do these episodes. We'll see how it goes. But, but yeah, um, I had Emily on. She's a good friend of mine back from Chicago. Um, and... I asked Emily to come on to do an episode that concerns production design in cinema because, for one, Emily has very decadent and a wonderful sense of style, both in terms of, you know, clothing and... but also her apartment layout and her passion about interior design. And ever since I've known her, that translates a lot to her love of cinema and the production design in certain films that she's really passionate about. So that's something I've always really loved too. So I thought, hey, let's let's do a full-on Cinebums episode about this. And I had a great time. I made a PowerPoint of all of our movies, some great visuals for you guys. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Without further ado, this is me and Emily first vamping about Showgirls for some reason. And then we get into the whole topic of production design so yeah hope you guys enjoy it so showgirls can you can you tell that story again for people are you okay with that yeah um like how bad the theater experience was (laughs) Well, like, first of all, your love for Showgirls, where does that stem from? And then leading up to seated at the music box and how vile that experience was. Okay. Well, I'm, also, I'm also pro Showgirls, by the way. Oh, I know. Which is controversial. Um, yeah. Okay. Here's how I got into Showgirls. My man, Paul Verhoeven, who made <laughs> my favorite movie of all time, Basic Instinct, which mm. is the most perfect neo-noir erotic thriller nothing compares to it i'm on a diehard like hill to try to replicate the feeling that that movie gave me the first time i watched it like it's so Mm. pretty and um i'm so bad with names sharon uh Stone, stone michael douglas like he is my favorite like noir neo-noir actor and like thriller that whole genre totally so the first time i watched that was like life-changing it's just so beautiful and like the femme fatales and like the crime and the murder like who doesn't love that like that's what gets people to go to the movies i feel like or at least back in the day it was like so scandalous and i think that's funny and so anyways the director um that's how I got into Showgirls is that he made that. And so I wanted to watch it. And then like, I'm fascinated by the fact that like 
there are these movies like I feel like Babylon is the today equivalent of Showgirls almost. Yeah. Maybe that's like a harsh thing to say, but like critically, Babylon seemed to flop and it's so good. Mm-hmm. Like, what are people missing about Babylon? And so with Showgirls, there's that aspect to it where it like had the infamous NC 17 rating. People were like so offended by the content and by the, mm-hmm. uh, what's the word? Like the acting that people like just hate. Like they think it's what, right. I don't know the word that they use about it, but like it's over the top. The whole movie's absurd, but like that's what makes it amazing. Like it's totally. such a commentary on that life and like, you know, the seediness and the things that people just don't talk about. Like, it's a very taboo subject. And what's the actress's name? Elizabeth. Elizabeth Berkeley. Yeah. Elizabeth. She's so incredible. She's incredible. Like, you know, that's another aspect that I think people didn't like about it at the time because she was coming off Saved by the Bell and she was kind of like this oh, exactly. innocent you know, up and coming actress. And they thought that Paul Verhoeven like exploited her beauty and like her innocence for that performance. But I think she was dialed in like to the tone of that movie so perfectly. And I'm so sad that like ended her career so early because like she was such a incredible, she could have been like a Sharon Stone-esque actress later in her life, you know? No, exactly. And it's just, I don't know, people are very like uppity about stuff like that and like so closed off. But like, yeah, it's just it's just absurd. Like she is truly it's such a campy movie and her performance is not bad. Like her performance matches the tone of that movie and mm-hmm. the visuals in it and like yeah. what is needed to make that so good. And like she was just like shunned for it. Like she couldn't get work after that. And it's like similar to uh Oh my goodness, Megan, our girl from uh, When Harry Met Sally. Oh, Meg Ryan after In Meg the Cut. Ryan. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Here's another example. Like, In the Cut is so good. Like, I love In the so Cut. Yeah. It's interesting. It's super, like, strange. Like, I still think about it sometimes. Like, the fact that that movie mm-hmm. is about like, crime, but you don't spend much time, like, with the murder part of it. And it's almost, yeah, it's like a framing device only, and it's really just used yeah. so Jane Campion could explore like misogyny and all these taboo things that you don't normally see in erotic thrillers. So yeah. that's why it's one of the best to me. I love In the Cut so much. Yeah, and it's it, really something. And like people were so upset that like America's sweetheart, <laughs> yeah, yeah, she chose to do that movie. Like it's, I didn't, I didn't think it was very exploitative. Like. She chose to do that. It's a woman, like female director. Like, mm-hmm. why are we? Why are people? I don't know. Unfair. She like couldn't get work after that. It's just yeah. Why? Why does this keep happening? You know that Nicole Kidman was supposed to do that performance too, and she, I think because she's a producer on the movie. I forgot. I think like, I read that. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen Big Little Lies. Have you seen Big Little Lies, oh, yeah. the show? Yeah. That performance is so similar to Nicole Kidman's in Big Little Lies, in my opinion. Like, there's such a there's such a duality uh, in terms of, like, trauma and how they kind of deal with it. I don't know. 
Um, and even like the the cost the costuming and like they just look so similar. And it yeah. kind of felt like that was Nicole going back to the time where she almost was in in the cut. So I don't know, but I mean Nicole had her moment with uh like Eyes Wide Shut. She did a lot of thrillers and like yeah. stuff like that. But Eyes Wide Shut is like the first one that comes to mind where you could like you could like pinpoint similarities between that and in the cut and yeah. Like, to Die For, I don't know if you've seen To Die For, but that's another Gus Van Sant movie. That's, that's oh, when she's like a reporter. Yeah, and she, I haven't seen it, but actually, but I think she gets entangled in a weird web of deceit and stuff. It's it's mm-hmm. it's, it's another erotic thriller from that time. But yeah, Nicole was definitely one of those actresses. Yeah, yeah. but like she's doing great today. No, she's never faltered. Honestly, she's had a pretty consistent like track record. Yeah. Uh, whereas Meg Ryan, yeah, that's a shame because she's that's like her best performance ever, in my opinion. And like when Harry Met Sally is like wonderful and beautiful, but like in the cuts, like a kind of like a transformational thing. And it's yeah. so yeah. I think about that movie a lot too. I don't know if that's yeah, it's <laughs> it sticks oh, with me. It really yeah, and like when I watched it, like I think I even wrote like a mini review just because movies like really I don't know. I, I feel like it takes a lot for one to like really impact me, even if like it's so moving and people like really love it and I love it and everything. But like, I feel like everything is so saturated nowadays. And like, mm-hmm. I'm like always on my phone, always on Instagram or on Letterboxd or Googling, whatever. And there's so much information. And like, I have a bad memory to begin with. <laughs> and then like when it comes to movies, like I never remember half the time, like, a movie that I know I loved, like I won't remember mm. much of it. So for one, like in the cut to like really linger for days, like a week, I don't know. Like I thought about it for so long and like to this day, I mean, because I, I watched it with the end of last year ish. So like to this mm. day, it still comes up sometimes. Like it really, I don't know what, a, what about it, like kind of finds its way into your like skin a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I, def- I definitely agree. Uh, speaking of which, uh, we usually talk about a movie. I mean, if you want to pull up your diary, that's what I'm, I have a terrible memory as well. So like, it's yeah, hard for me to. Okay, perfect. Um, do you want to go first? Like, what's a movie you watched in the past like two weeks that's stuck with you or, or stands out in some sort of fashion? Um, in the last two weeks, basically in all of January, I've watched a total of four movies. Um, I can list them really fast. I watched La La Land, Avatar, Babylon, and uh, Chicago. Chicago, oh. I love. I just watched that the other day because um, we're going to see it uh, Broadway in Chicago tomorrow. Oh wow, nice! Yeah, so I wanted to rewatch to get like a you know a fresh viewing. But I don't know. I mean, of the three, like I'm obsessed with all of them, so it's hard to like pick one to talk about. But like. I don't know, maybe I'll be judged for this, but like La La Land is my favorite movie of all time. Um, It's Mm. my number one. And I just, I watched it right before going to see Babylon. And it's like so amazing to me, the, to use your word, like the duality of those two movies and how like crazy contrasting they are because you have La La Land which they're both so visually stunning in their own ways. Yeah. The score by Justin Hurwitz. I oh, my God. Yeah. 
he's so incredible. Like, I think I literally listened to the La La Land playlist or soundtrack in its entirety yesterday while I was cooking. Um, Do you have a vinyl? Do you own the vinyl? No, not yet. I, like, haven't – I have a record player and I have a few Mm -hmm. records, but I can never bring myself to, like, buy – though like i haven't entered my vinyl era if, if you know so, <laughs> so i have a list and, and la la land is one of them definitely um, yeah but babylon is just it was such a gruesome movie i feel like it was very visceral yeah yeah it was hard to watch in many ways and like even just from like personally people like did not from what I was reading, people like had things to say that weren't amazing about the opening sequence and like that it dragged on for too long. But like hmm. I loved that opening sequence so much. Like the excess. Same. Yeah, yeah. The music and the costumes and the lights, like everything about that is like what I love about movies and the mm-hmm. whole like, first third basically with how they showed like the production of movies and like the craziness of like those sets back in the day before sound it Absolutely. just did an amazing job of showcasing not that i know so much about that time in hollywood you know but showcasing that era and the feeling that elicited and for it to just go downhill so much and to end not end quite but you know with that scene in the you know the layers of hell basically toby um, mcguire scene yeah all yeah, of yeah. those that it was just I was recent I read a lot about Dante recently and like the Inferno and everything and it's on my list to read that and so like to watch that it was very um I guess good timing but yeah, yeah. I think about Babylon all the time same all the time I need to go see it again I loved it I saw it again on my birthday because I was just like I need to experience this again so mm-hmm. quickly after um I love the first two set pieces i know people were like really mixed up especially the first part but that's so integral to the whole movie to draw you into like the major contrast that the industry had you know pre and post sound and stuff you know and kind of like the free the freedom and the excess that they had and the kind of like the boundless opportunities they had to do whatever the hell they wanted um and that's where the movie soars for me like especially like the making of the first the two films with Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie and how like cross cuts like yeah. that's so infectious to me for sure and like um and yeah no i i i talked about babylon a lot on the podcast already so i'm i'm like running out of things to say about it but i agree yeah. i i adore it and i'm i, I hate to break it to so i i told lucas about this but like la la land <laughs> isn't my favorite movie of all time i think he um, actually recently mentioned that to i know i've i've caught a lot of of, of flack over the years i do like it i'm just not no, a, like, i don't i don't i know like people yeah I feel like it's a, a very like white person thing to say that like oh i mean yeah that's okay. La La Land. So, I, just, I just do so is babylon honestly if you want to break it down but i it's true i was like that's kind of the damien chazelle movie that made that kind of won me over on him was babylon so which is funny because yeah. most people it's la la land and yeah. i like the fucked up excessive like death of hollywood movie more than the the magical like la la land so yeah that's more about me, me but no for me like la la land 
I don't know, people, when they talk about, like, oh, what was the movie that, like, got you into cinema? Like, I've been watching movies my whole life, but not to the, like, mm-hmm. not in the way that I do today and, like, with the thought that I do today. But, like, when La La Land came out in 2016, I watched that movie, like, four times in, like, a week. Like, I do not exaggerate. <laughs> it was, like, genuinely life-changing for me to, like, feel those feelings in a movie and to be so, so sad by the ending and like mm. of life. And I don't know, it's just, it had an impact on me. And I still have to watch Whiplash, but then. You're what, really? Well, okay. I know it's on my list. I haven't made, I wanted to before Babylon came out, but I didn't make it. It's, um, it's, it's very sweat inducing and it's stressful. It's like the polar opposite of La La Land too. So. Seems like um, a good, uh, a good trilogy. Yeah, yeah. That was like an entry point for me that made me love movies was actually Whiplash, funny enough. So, yeah, I mean, I was like, I was like pretty impressionable. I was like 16 and I'd never seen a movie like that. And I was like, holy shit, this is one of a kind. Um, But yeah, um, what was I going to say about La La Land? The I guess I sequence. <laughs> I mean, no, I guess, no, no, no. Dean Chazelle knows how to make an opening sequence. I mean, what can no, I say? Absolutely, and a and a finale too. Yeah, like he he ends his movies on the highest note of like emotionality and like kind of throwing everything he has at the wall. Like the final sequence in Babylon too is like it's kind of just it's excessive, but it's also necessary to the movie. And I know a lot of people didn't the like montage? that. The montage with Avatar at the end, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> the fact that Avatar is included is like the most perfect thing. Ever. It's so perfect, yeah. Like, did he? I don't know, but no. I was gonna ask about La La Land. If you did that movie, like, open your door for like backstage musicals, like Technicolor oh, yeah. musicals from like the fifties. Like, have you watched any since La La Land? No. <laughs> no, I will be the first to admit. Uh, I'm gonna be shy about the fact that I, I'm not. I'm trying. It's like, no. There's a gap in my film education, and I'm trying to remedy it because I I don't have the knowledge of like all of the movies that have influenced movies like La La Land. Mm. What is that? Singing in the rain. Singing in the Rain, Umbrellas of Cherbourg are the big ones, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know why I've never seen those, but I've never seen <laughs> It's so fair. I really need to do that. Singing in the Rain is like my highest possible recommendation for musicals, but also uh, American in Paris, which is another Gene Kelly movie. Oh, that's on my list. That is, that's like my favorite musical ever. And I, I don't know, have you seen Cabaret? Oh, yeah. Okay, um, okay. Yeah, but I was gonna say a Fosse is necessary too if you're gonna go down the musical oh, hole. Yeah. All that no, jazz. That yeah. All that jazz is insane. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely is. Yeah. <laughs> no, Cabaret like was so blown away by it when I watched and Liza Minnelli so stunning and chaotic. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, One of the best best I musical performances. Like sometime last year when they did a re-release for whatever anniversary of the movie or something. So I saw it at AMC one afternoon. Mm, that's fun. awesome. Yeah. She's, she's a national treasure for sure. Um, yeah. uh, okay. I'll talk about one I watched a few days ago. So my friend 
had never seen blue velvet. So that we decided to throw it on one night and it had been like, have you seen blue velvet? I know we've talked about David Lynch. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. He's my man too. I mean, yeah, no, have the same taste in movies and it's very great. (laughs) Except that I told you, I don't love La La Land. I think that's a big barrier. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But no, blue velvet is one of, that's another movie that kind of, broke my head open early on for movies. Um, Mulholland Drive, too. I, I saw those like within the span of like a month when I was like a teenager. Yeah. And I was kind of like Lynch's Lynch became like one of my guys for sure. Um, but Blue Velvet, like, I mean, I've again, that's a movie that's been talked about to death, but um, the middle America aspect and like the picket fence um, picturesque suburbia. of suburbia america is something i just always love like i'm a huge i love john waters and like douglas sirk um and that and he was also speaking of technicolor i feel like he was channeling a little technicolor stuff in that movie re-watching it but but yeah i love every aspect of blue like you were talking about neo-noirs i had forgot how it's kind of like lynch's neo-noir um, or at yeah. least his ode to like a neo noir sort of movie. <clears throat> I think Mulholland Drive is too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I I forgot about all the like. Um, Kyle McLaughlin for a majority of this movie is doing detective work, and he's kind of like the way he meets Laura Dern at coffee shops is kind of reminiscent of like a classic noir movie. Um, and that obviously channeled over to like Twin Peaks and all that stuff. And kind of like, that's really the blueprint for the rest of his career was blue velvet, like in, in many respects. Um, and of course, Dennis Hopper is just like, such a menace. is such a menace. He's so scary, he's so um, scary in that movie. He's, he's horrified. Yeah. Um, and he's what a presence. Um, Isabella Rossellini is incredible. Laura Dern, obviously like he found his, some great like actresses, in that era, like especially Laura Dern became like his muse for, I don't know if you've seen like wild at heart and oh, I love wild at wild heart. hearts and it's so good. Yeah. And inland empire is really great. Like I, I'm so glad she became Lynch's muse for a long time. Like she's so, she's such a great presence for, for his tone and everything. So, oh, totally. so yeah. Uh, where is blue? What's your favorite Lynch movie yourself? Um, Mulholland drive. Yeah. Same. I mean, that's like, that's the default answer and the boring answer, but like I don't know what could possibly dethrone. I love Twin Peaks, the movie though. That's like a big firewalk with me. Have you seen that movie? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I actually have a funny yeah. story with Firewalk with me. Um, so I've seen it Ooh. twice, and one time was with Lucas, like at home on the TV. We had finished, you know, Twin Peaks and all of that, so it was time to watch the movie. And then a second time was at a 35 i think it was 35 millimeter screening of it at um yeah. music box and they brought uh man i'm so bad with names what is her name? <laughs> cheryl Hall. lee laura cheryl, palmer cheryl lee yeah. cheryl lee cheryl lee and then the the guy the actor who played the boyfriend in bobby. high school yeah bobby i don't know the actor's name but yeah bob everyone knows bobby <laughs> yeah um, I just I'm, I never remember names like of anything, but the two of them came to do a Q&A after that screening. That's and awesome. It was like a last minute thing like that. I even found out that the music box was doing that. And I had prior plans like with a friend and the show was sold out. But I'm like, this is like my favorite TV show like of all time. 
these mm-hmm. are two actors who like to be in the same room as them, like would be otherworldly. I mean, like what more could you possibly want? <laughs> it's like a Twin Peaks fan. And so yeah. she ended up changing course with me and like came to see Fire Walk with me. And like beforehand, I was like, just so you know, like it is marketed as a horror movie, but like me, I didn't remember much of the movie at all. So like, I, I didn't know to tell her that it's like a horrible, like painful watch. Yes. <laughs> and at least like, I mean, I saved my ass unintentionally by like telling her that I didn't remember much of the movie. Um, <laughs> we like went to see it and like, I was able to get tickets because it was sold out, but they had, you know, you can usually still go if you just show up. And, um, she was so mad at me after <laughs> that screening because it was like so uncomfortable for her to watch that. And she like is not a movie fan. She doesn't care about David Lynch. She's never seen Twin, Twin Peaks. Like it's not something she cares about at all or like wants to. It's not her thing. Oh gosh. She was probably so lost like story wise yeah. and everything. Yeah. <laughs> and she was just so like so upset that like she was watching that, but she also like didn't have the gall to just like leave. Like, why didn't you leave? Like, <laughs> I wasn't gonna leave. Because- Maybe she didn't want to be rude to you because she was like, you you were clearly a Twin Peaks fanatic, and she's like, but yeah, she yeah, should have left. I would have respected it. Like, I wouldn't have been mad. It's like, yeah, do what you have to do. Like, <clears throat> whatever. And yeah. then we didn't even stay for the whole Q and A because she was so uncomfortable and like upset with me. Oh, my story with Firewalk with me. <laughs> you know what? That's a that's 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 yeah, that's unfortunate for sure. But I saw that movie for the first time at the Music Box too, actually. Um, in '35, it was. I don't know if you were around for this, but they did like a retrospective. I think this was this was like 2017. Yeah, I went to the retrospective yeah. like this last year. So like I it did another one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I I saw Twin Peaks, I saw Blue Velvet, Mulholland Drive, um, Eraserhead, and they they played like the pilot of Twin Peaks: The Return, and I saw all those, and it was like the greatest retrospective ever. But Firewalk about it last year too. Yeah, it was. What did you see? Do you see all those, or did you see? Was it just Twin Peaks? Um. I didn't go to see fire walk with me was like a whole separate occasion. It wasn't for the retrospective. Oh, gotcha. Um, gotcha. But the retro at the retrospective, I went to blue velvet, Mulholland drive fire walk. No, not fire walk with me. Wild at heart and inland empire. Oh God. How, how was inland empire on the big screen? Insane. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I it was so long like I could not believe that movie I didn't know like I didn't do much reading on it or anything beforehand Mm. I don't even think that I knew that it was recorded on like that camcorder yeah yeah. so it was very like throws you off at first yeah Yeah. it was really an experience but I was really glad like those that's the first and only time so far that I've seen it so it's hard to rewatch frequently it's it's kind of it's all similar to firewalk with me it's a little punishing and terrifying like there's there's a sequence where laura dern's on the street in that movie and there's like strobe and i just that's like always stuck with me like that imagery 
yeah. like Jesus. Um, but it, it is also like a brilliant depiction of Hollywood again. Yes. <laughs> like kind of a great follow-up to Mulholland Drive. Um, yeah, I need to rewatch it at some point, but that's like, I own it. Oh, I bought it with you um, at that one store. You, you bought it at Amoeba, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, at Amoeba. I have never, like, I've never touched it. <laughs> um, I got it for my birthday one year and I ha- I still haven't rewatched it. I need to throw it on again, but like I said, yeah, it's... I mean, yeah, it's not one you can <laughs> just, like, sit down and pull it out. Yeah, no, it's tough. Um, so... Yeah, in terms of production design, um, what guy did you have like a fast for me? I had like a deep fascination with uh, interior design, like especially at a young age. For some reason, like when I was in middle school to high school, I became obsessed with um, I played a lot of video games and I played a lot of games where you designed houses and like um Sometimes it was like fantastical, like it was like you were designing castles and cottages. I don't mm-hmm. know what these games were, but it was like random games I was playing on my PC. It's so but funny. it was weird, but it was a weird phase of my life. But it was it, for like two years, I told people that maybe I want to be an interior designer when I grew up. Um, so Can naturally, yeah, no, it's it, it wasn't like serious. It was kind of like I told my mom that I like to design houses and i liked those shows and she was like you should become an interior designer but it kind of faded away but when i got into movies i often gravitated towards like set design and and the whole kind of set building aspect of everything and the way that especially houses and apartments look was Mm -hmm. it like similar for you where you were just like you liked interior design and like naturally you watch movies and it's like the same you just kind of love that aspect too it's actually so so funny i did not know this about you and like i wanted to be an interior designer when i was young really yes it was between um interior designing and architecture but then i soon discovered that i hated math and architecture was like quickly off the list and then interior design it was a dream for like so long um but not something that i ever like pursued um but my mom she doesn't like have a career in it, but it's like, you know, for, you know, certain things happened in life, whatever, that it just, it didn't happen the way, you know, in another world, like it should have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like grew up with her always like being very meticulous, like about our home. And especially recently, like they, they moved to Cincinnati a few years ago and the house there is like, I feel like it was like made for them. Like they were meant to move there and to have that house. And it's like from the 1800s. Wow. And it used to be like, it's a historic house. Like they don't have to maintain it like for the government or anything, but like it has a plaque on the door. Like it's, it was like a house where there was like a raid during like the civil war. What? Some insane like history to that house. And it's like a, <laughs> It's a yellow farmhouse and it's like my mom's favorite color. Oh, and, that's awesome. Yeah. So when they moved there, she like had the opportunity to like basically design that whole space. And I love like it's not not like any house like we've ever lived in, like the way that she did that interior. Um, but I love going home and like being in that space because it's so warm and it's so mm cozy and like it's just home you know and so she's always had this skill this like passion and 
whatever for interior design. And I think I've, I think I have it from her. I mean, I don't know where else mm-hmm. it would come from, but it, it must have, uh, I guess I get it from her. And it really is something that I think I like came into during quarantine. When, like I had a lot of time to do stuff, I suppose. And so <laughs> it's like getting a lot more into thrifting and like vintage stuff and like mm-hmm. actually putting together my like apartment that's been coming. I mean, it's done now, but it's, you know, for two years, I basically spent all that time like designing it and everything. And I think during COVID when I discovered Letterboxd and (laughs) entered, um, you know, made my foray into the, into the film world, I uh, started paying attention to movies and like with this newfound love of like vintage and I guess I've always had a love for interior design, but not the way I do like today. Um, I just started noticing homes like so much more and trying to pay mm-hmm. attention to like the feeling that it elicits and like keeping track of the spaces that I love and that I think are so like well lived in and well designed in movies. Yeah. I couldn't pinpoint like one movie that like, well, no, we're a window. <laughs> actually before long before in like middle school or whenever i first watched that movie actually but no that that's that's like probably the the quintessential like we were talking about before like that's that's interior and exterior design like just utilized perfectly in film um yeah and the whole movie is about space like spatial awareness and the way the way the layout is kind of built for the film and stuff, which we're obviously going to talk about it in a second. Um, yeah. For me, it was actually it's so it's so stereotypical, but it was Wes Anderson oh, to yeah. where I like actually noticed production design being an art form in film itself, because that illustrates like the feeling of warmth and kind of nostalgia in such a profound way. I think it was it must have been Grand Budapest Hotel. I mean, that's like one of the most beautiful sets i've ever seen in any movie and like obviously he's like the quintessential set and set decorator and also like filling the frame with just layers upon layers of 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 props and colors and everything so that was it for me that's where i like really noticed i'm like holy shit set dressing is like its own thing in movies and then i would just notice like oh i would live in that house or i would i would want to like I I would use that apartment for something, you know, that I I started to think that way. Yeah. Um, And I still do. Hotel has been on my list to rewatch for so long because I've seen it once, like when it came out and I just don't remember like any of it besides the pink Uh hotel. Yeah. That's the main thing. It's like, you can't forget the imagery, but like the movie itself is like perfect in and of itself. So, um, yeah, do you just want to get into the stuff, the movies that we chose, like yeah. the PowerPoint? All right. I love Let that me... you did the PowerPoint. I know. I, I did my homework for this. Uh, <laughs> Exclamation. I'm excited about it. It, it excites me for sure. Um, all right. The first one is Rear Window, which you touched upon. Um, I couldn't find as many photos of Carrie, um, of James Stewart's apartment uh on google but maybe if you want to elaborate but i have the courtyard and i kind of have like the spot of where he's stationed at for the whole film so 
Yeah. Yeah. This was your this was your first pick here. Um. Yeah. Let me see if I can find it online. But I think there's like a. I love lamps, and I think there's like a lamp, a pendant lamp in rear window that like I always think about. Um. Okay. Basically, like in. Let me see. In like I was, I've been thinking a lot recently about set design and what I wanted to say on this podcast and I like, can't, I, I don't know. I really struggle to separate like clothing in well, like with certain movies, like rear window, like I, mm. I can't separate like the costumes and like Grace Kelly's ball gowns and like her pearls and her chicness from like that whole setting because sure. it plays her into the home she like doesn't like she looks out of place yeah i love the love between our main characters and Mm. i don't know what can i say like the first thing that i think of with the interior of of rear window is the pendant lamp it's like i've just found a photo of it on pinterest but it's like you know just the hanging string with, oh um, yes okay the pleated, the pleated shade and you like can touch it from above and that home is like i don't it's so lived in like yeah no we're like in a different era we're like back then that was probably so normal but for me like seeing those film cameras and the like stunning pendant lamps with the pleats and like it's just so cozy it's so at home it's like nothing special when you like actually stop to think about it, like Carrie, Carrie Grant, I forget his name in the movie, but like James Stewart, James Stewart, like he's not home to like think about his interior or his space. Like it doesn't seem like a space that he put a ton of effort into. I think he travels. Mm. He might have like pieces from different places. He's gone like on the walls or like his bookshelf or whatever. And it just, because of that, it's like so lived in, but it's so well mm-hmm. curated to his life and to his, like what seems like a pretty minimal need in his space. Yeah. And you spend the whole time basically like in that movie with him, like you said, in that one corner. And I just wish I could be in his apartment. I agree. Like, I totally agree. You like of the courtyard like I think I mean I don't know I feel like it changed my view of like people and just how I like literally see things thinking about like what people I don't like we're all just out here (laughs) (laughs) all you know however many seven billion of us like each have our own lives but like they never intersect and everyone has like their problems and this like huge Mm -hmm. stratospheric feeling that they have about themselves and like this movie's just so perfect absolutely wow that got really philosophical um uh I'm no, serious. Like, that movie no is, like, i agree with you yeah life-changing it is yeah i mean it's it's all about your perception on and because that movie quite literally handicaps a character so he can observe and see things you wouldn't normally see and it's all about point of view um, and yeah, I, I never thought of his apartment, but that way, but it's so true. It's so, it's so lived in and it's everything so meticulously placed. Um, 
And I love, I don't know if you remember, but there's when he's scanning across the courtyard, I think his neighbors to the right of him have like this kind of open windowed uh, uh, apartment where you could just see like a piano and like two, the couple just sitting there reading a magazine or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have like this kind of like a high fashioned looking apartment. Like you had kind of like different facets of wealth around this courtyard. Yeah. Um, and then, um, but yeah, no, um, Sam Comer is one of my favorite set dressers who worked with Hitchcock a lot. Um, mm-hmm. My per- my personal favorite look he's ever uh, done is in Vertigo, which mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you remember or have seen that film, but like the colors and the... I've seen, but I don't remember. It's also one that I need to rewatch. Highly recommend you watch it again. It's just like some of the best Technicolor, but also like the designs of the restaurants and how kind of monochromatic they are are just so beautiful to look at and probably the best capturing of san francisco and like its architecture and mm-hmm. um the the how things are like dwarfed from how large like the golden gate bridge is and all that stuff um i don't know i love it but that's a great that's a great way to kick us off because like that is the quintessential interior and exterior design i think in film in my opinion so yeah um I also love that couple that lives across from him that like just brings their mattress out in the summer to sleep on. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I feel like I wish I could do that. Not like, I'm not that I have a balcony, but like if I had a balcony, I think I would still say I wish I could do that because I don't think I'd ever be able to bring myself to like bring my mattress out there. Right. It's just there's like a whole little like organism. You know what is the term for like. What is that's not the right word, but like for this courtyard, it's like a whole like world unto itself. And if, yeah, it feels like you're observing like a fish tank or like, uh, I don't know, you're at the zoo and there's like this kind of this exhibit because it's all it's also perfectly laid out, like we said. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad you mentioned sleeping outside because I've I <laughs> love I love to sleep outside when I like I have. I've had I've stayed at friends places like in warmer climates who have futons on their decks. And if they do, really? I will sleep outside no matter I how cold so it gets at night. It's so fun. Yeah, I, I eventually want to get a porch, like a big porch with an onion so I can put a futon out there and I will sleep outside whenever that it's warm enough. So <laughs> Maybe get a heating blanket. I don't know. I don't want to like get hypothermia, but I love doing that. I mean, this um, must be incredible. It is. I'm usually. I mean, I usually. You gotta like. I usually drink beforehand because it's. It's hard to. I don't know. It's. It's kind of a stupid thing to do because I don't know. But I love doing it. Um. So my first pick is a film called Still Walking, which is a Japanese movie, and I tend to. I just love Japanese homes, and I love. Like I don't know if you've seen like Tokyo Story or like there's classic Ozu films from um, the fifties, but it's just those that uh, this kind of like the open space of these Japanese homes is something I, I just love. And like the sliding doors and the silhouettes and the, the paper, uh, the paper thin walls that you could easily just separate. Like there's a, there's an aspect of Japanese homes that are so like customizable and cozy um, and still walking has like the greatest dinner table I've ever seen in cinema. Cause like this one here on the floor. 
Yeah, you can see that the whole movie kind of revolves around their family dinners and the way they kind of interact at the dinner table and the just something about them sitting on the floor feels almost like childlike. And I don't know, it's just kind of like so comforting to me. And also you can see the picture on the right of the old man and like kind of like they're they have like a great uh, garden and and an amazing just pasture of, of greenery behind them. Um, so it's kind of that aesthetic of like the, the warmth and the inside and then the overwhelming colorful nature of the outside. And that's a lot of, that's part of why I love Japanese cinema is the, is the house, the houses that you get to sort of live in throughout the movies. Um, and still walking. I just, I love food movies too. And Mm -hmm. I I couldn't find a picture of the kitchen, but I'm sure we're going to talk about this, but like kitchens and movies and a well put together, just unique kitchen is one of my favorite things so i had to bring this one up um genius so i'll have to like i'm feeling very invigorated about movies again not that i like haven't been but i have not been watching many this year and so this is making me like so excited to like watch the movies that we've been talking about like we watch vertigo Mm -hmm. and grand budapest hotel and see still walking definitely like warm hugs (laughs) <laughs> they that's a that's a lot of my sets that i'll be talking about are just is just the warmth of them and the same with mine i love coziness yeah that's a big thing for me um speaking of coziness here's this oh is oh my gosh this, this is the best a best movie there's <laughs> nothing dreamier than this home i mean absolutely like, i don't know my whole life like all i want is to just move to Europe you don't even have to live there permanently but if I could like live there for like a year or like get to a spot where like you can have a summer home or like a rental where you can go like the family in this movie where they only there like over the summer yeah Um, this is called me by your name by the way for you audio listeners out there we we have (laughs) we have slides I should have explained yeah yeah, this is the house and the courtyard of call me by your name that we're discussing yeah Um, I mean, like, there's really not much to say, I feel like, but there's just, I recently saw a thread on Twitter, like, the first time I've gone on there in, like, months about, um, he's, like, some, I don't know, city planner, whatever he does, where he, like, showed a photo of some city in, like, Croatia, maybe, or something like that, where it's so beautifully architecturally, like, created, and it's, like, a little peninsula, kind of, and homes and cities in the united states just don't look like that they're so stark they're so like there's no creativity not that you know we love new york like that's special and chicago's stunning and stuff like that places in california and everywhere like not to say that the u.s is ugly by any means at all but like movies like call me by your name that take place in in europe and in italy you see these old homes that are like Palazzo's basically right and they're so antique and mm-hmm. old and you don't have that here like you just you don't have houses that look like this or if they do they're not authentic they're like people trying to recreate that look and it's not genuine and it's basically worse and mm-hmm. I don't know uh, to like have the look at them like just laying there on like the stone I know. It's just like built into the ground. Like they have the most stunning property. It's, it's unbelievable. Art and like 
it's exactly like the people who live there, you know, the father's so educated, like all of them are like musically and like with literature and art. And it yeah. like, really just reflects that so well. Like you can't see this family living in some like cookie cutter house, like in the United States. <laughs> yeah, no, they're, they, they have elegant taste. Absolutely. And, I love the scenes of Michael Stuhlbarg kind of explaining art and how that kind of mirrors their interior design of just, they love, uh, I think, I don't know what period of, of art to be honest, but like mm. sort of this Renaissance period of sculpture and like how their fascination with old things kind of just perfectly mirrors, like, especially this living room here. Like you could just see, not only the paintings but the chandelier looks vintage and the furniture and everything and the fireplace feels like it's plucked out of like this 1800s or something Um, i'm sure it's the original too exactly yeah and and i love outdoor dining i it always comes back to fucking dining tables (laughs) for me but like them eating outside and they're like kind of sandwiched between their beautiful home and like the kind of peach trees on the other side it's like I couldn't imagine a more like elegant way to eat dinner every night. It's like, God, yeah. I, would... I don't know. They're so in tune with like nature. Yes. You know? yeah, I yeah. love how that's incorporated inside in like the colors <laughs> and in the warmth and the easy access to the outside. Like, yeah, yards are not the same here. You know, like you just, mm-hmm. it's not going to be as the, sim- the same property where the outside is like an extension of your inside. Yes. Except maybe in like some celebrity homes that you might see like right. architectural digest tours. Oh, I love those. I get a lot. I watch those all the time. It's kind of, um, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's one of the best. Um, and it's, it's one of those movies I, I, I would live, I would live in if I had a choice, like that'd probably be the first mm-hmm. one. <laughs> and they live right by like a, a, a river that you can catch fish and eat it for dinner. It's like, it couldn't be the more perfect setup. And like you could ride your bike to the downtown area, which again, a stunning architecture. I should have put a, a photo of them walking around the, I forgot what city. Yeah. Do you remember what city? No, I don't. Um, <laughs> our Italian listeners will be upset with us, but I, I don't know. I have no idea. Um, my next one is a movie called the Sex. Town of Crema. It's an hour outside of Milan. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Um, what city do they go to in the second half of that of the movie? Is it in is it Milan or do they go to uh it's not Rome? They go to some urban city in the in the second half of the I don't know. But yeah, I don't remember. I know what you're talking about, but <laughs> um speaking of homes, uh I don't know if have you heard of this movie Sexy Beast from two thousand? No. Um it's going on the list. It's so good. This is a this is a Lucas movie too. Lucas would love this movie. So, this is a movie from Jonathan Glazer who went on to direct movies like Under the Skin and Birth. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a, he's just such an amazing contemporary director. But this is his debut movie, um, and a lot of this movie takes place at this home um, that located in somewhere Eastern Europe. I honestly forget. I should have researched it, but. <laughs> I just love this. The house in this movie is, is it's first of all, everything's white. Um, and I just, the viewpoint of, of the coast is just stunning. 
Um, but it's the pool for me that that this is one of my favorite pools in movies. Um, and it's it's really integral to the story of this movie in a lot of ways. Like, it I don't want to spoil me, anything. Uh, the vibe, like, I get the, do you know the swimming pool, like La Piscine, the French movie? I have no, no I've heard, that's another one, yeah. This photo, like, specifically that you have up here reminds me of it. Really? Yeah. Oh, maybe it was inspired maybe by that. Yeah. It might be, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's like th- this house for some reason, like you could feel like you could see like he's sunburned in that photo. Like this is one of those movies you could really feel like the sun kind of just powering over the, the home and everything. And um, I, I don't know. It, I, it's hard to describe the feeling that it evokes. Well, you'll have to watch the film to know what I'm talking about, but it's like it's like this kind of kitschy Eastern European uh, crime home. Um, and it's, it's kind of reminiscent to something like the Godfather or even like gone with the wind, like these weird isolated homes. And like, they have these, everything is kind of like laid out so perfectly. Everything's like I said, monochromatic white. Um, but yeah, it's, just, I, I think about this pool often when I think about swimming pools and cinema. So I just had to talk about it. So the views are amazing with the mountains in the background. I know what it's just, yeah, God, it's so great. Um, and I love homes that are kind of like on an incline and like you, they're kind of built into the architecture of like of a hill somehow, which can be, right. they can be kind of terrifying in some respects, but I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I love it. Um, and it reminds me of a home that you'd see like in Calabasas or in um, Santa Barbara, California, like on the coast, like these kind of homes that kind of you drive by on the highway. So yeah. Um, Hollywood yeah. Hills. Yeah. yeah those houses all the time <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> um so that's mine uh and you mentioned ferris bueller which is I mainly for the the architecture right yes um you didn't put the photo up here or not that you knew because we didn't talk about it but <laughs> yeah I, the I, only thing with I, ferris bueller's day off is uh cameron i can't even remember i can't believe i remembered his name but cameron's home that beautiful oh damn it like, yeah the house that like i i don't know the term for it but again it's like very in the woods like it's mm-hmm. one with nature and it's full of glass it has like the stilts over like the hill and stuff somewhere in the north shore suburbs here of chicago mm-hmm. and that house like this isn't really an interior or like a product i mean i guess it's production design but like that house i think like has to be like one of the most like wow scenes or like homes in a movie that I think I must have seen like as a kid because of course this is like a classic movie that you watch like when you're small yeah and I think I was like blown away because I was you know learning about Frank Lloyd Wright and his houses and like his uh philosophy with like incorporating nature into them or rather building the houses to be like one with nature and that house i i I have no words i mean like (laughs) i don't know how i would feel about living in a glass house (laughs) it's so like solitary and in the woods like maybe it just doesn't matter that you live in glass like that but, it's so it's like unapologetically bourgeois a little bit that house and yes. the fact he's like a car showroom inside of his own home 
in the garage. It feels like you're at an auto show all of a sudden. It's like, God, yeah. You know, there's a lot of houses like that in like Evanston and along the coast of northern Chicago. So it's like it really reminds me of home in that respect. Like, so you see a lot of those houses like overlooking Lake Michigan Mm -hmm. and stuff or just in the woods completely just isolated from the world. Um, yeah, I need to like seek those out more to like go on walks in those areas because like yeah. I the North Shore suburbs for the architecture, but like when I'm driving, like I don't have the same ability to like mm-hmm. you know, gaze at the houses. But like h- houses like that, like are always in the trees. Like you're not going to see them directly off of whatever road you're on. Um, so that's why you got to go to estate sales. <laughs> I need to absolutely. I need to start thrifty like you. My apartment's been so like barren so far. It's therapeutic. Uh, I know. Like, when next time um I come to visit, like on the list, like we have to go to an estate sale because like I cannot imagine a more perfect place to go to an estate sale. Like think if we could go to one in like the hills, you know, oh, or like man. any of those houses where like Think about the art in those. I mean, like, I love going to estate sales mostly for the architecture and, like, getting to mm. see inside someone's house more than, like, specifically hunting for treasures. But, <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it. No, I love to do, I would love to do that to see the house. I, like, is the art affordable usually? Like, can you find good deals? It, like, depends. Yeah, it definitely depends. Like, I have definitely found cool things at estate sales and, like, some... Sometimes, like, the most unassuming house from the outside is, like, the coolest, like, vintage treasure trove inside. Mm. Um, Sometimes you just don't know, but then, you know, maybe they just really want to get rid of stuff, so they're not going to be, like, uppity about prices. But it really just depends. Sometimes estate sales can be, like, very expensive, especially when, like, Mm. they know, you know, because unlike at a thrift store where you might come across, like, some insane vintage mid-century piece of furniture where like online it would cost like let's say like thousands of dollars like in an estate sale it's more likely that they'll charge something like that because they'll know Mm -hmm. the designer and like the period and all of that but you never know you could definitely find exciting pieces yeah, we'll definitely have to do that next time. I'm I'm very into that idea. Or yeah. even just go into they have a lot of outdoor thrift events in LA that I've been meaning to go to. Yeah, I've always um, wanted to go to stuff like that too. They're very extravagant. Like there's a lot of tents and there's a lot of like designer stuff, but also art and food. Like they're a lot of fun. So yeah. We'll, we'll have to do that eventually. Uh Okay, so I had to put on a uh, uh, Hayao Miyazaki Studio Ghibli movie just because it's not technically set design. It's more in the animation department, but I just had to talk about the architecture of Kiki's delivery service. Um, to my knowledge, this have you seen this film, by the way? No. Oh, God. Luke, I think Lucas has seen this movie. He knows. That he, he's a big fan also, but I think it's a fictitious town that she kiki lives in but if you could see just the architecture and the layout of the city is just so perfect in every way um and i couldn't find a photo but she lives in sort of this this apartment um it's kind of like a a garden apartment in in a in a bakery i believe um Mm -hmm. 
but yeah, again, going back to Japanese architecture um, and kind of, I feel like Miyazaki was trying to marry like Japanese architecture with the greenery and the, uh, um, um, yeah, uh, the, the, the interiors specifically is what I meant to say. Um, but also like kind of like Italian uh, or like s- architecture from Spain, um, I would say, and definitely in the coloration of like the the roofs and everything and the layout of the buildings. Um, so, yeah. And uh, and obviously how everything I love stuff on the coast. And this this movie has like some um, amazing coastal shots. And um, and the house on the right is where like the main witch if you will, of the story mm-hmm. lives. And I just love the overgrown greenery on the house and like the, the spherical, I don't know what, what do you usually call like that spherical uh, room in a house? You know what I'm talking about? That's oh, yeah. like, like kind of like Rapunzel's tower. Like I don't yeah. know. Called. Yeah. I don't know what you'd call that, but it again, that kind of has like a cone sticking out of the top. Um, I just love that. And uh, mainly the greenery of, of here and there's like an amazing again i couldn't find a photo but there's like an incredible indoor garden and everything um so, so yeah the windows I mean, are beautiful. they are absolutely gorgeous yeah there's just a rich sense of history and and lived in nature especially for an animated movie it's like how the how the hell do they do this i just don't understand but um yeah. i could have picked any i could have picked any miyazaki film for this but this is had to shed some light on Kiki. Uh, the holiday. So <laughs> um, the holiday is like also a quintessential set design movie. Um, yes. Because both houses. Okay, here we go again with like the thing between like the US and Europe. Like, look yeah. at, like, you know, obviously, like, I feel like rich people would not, like, see this house and be like, oh, my gosh, what a work of art, like, this little home in England, but, (laughs) like, here, you can so obviously see, like, the one little, like, stone tiny house is, like, belongs to a woman who, you know, she's, like, not rich, you know, she's just, like, your average person, but it's so much homier and so much more lived in, and more beautiful than like the California home at the bottom there. Yeah. (laughs) And I was trying to think like with interior design and movies, like I feel like the best purpose that they serve is like to be an extension of our characters. Yes. Seeing live life in these films. And the holiday is such a perfect example because you have your like, I don't know if she's actually a studio executive, but you have like your Mm -hmm. Hollywood woman here with like a nobody for lack of a better word from Europe who they switch houses, which like what a dream. And it's so representative of their lifestyle and of their personalities. But to me, like the stone house is like, look at that like exposed brick inside with like the little wood windowsill and like, the towels stacked over there with what looks to be like newspaper on top and the little plants that are growing. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's so, how you just like that house just looks like someone who like cares and someone who like lives within their means. And yeah. it's a home where the other one just doesn't look like a home. It just looks like a house. Yeah. Or like an overly like stylish 
like resort or something. It's like comically big for one person to live in. Also, uh, Cameron Diaz's home. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I love the the whole movie and a lot of Nancy Myers's movies are about the homes and like the extravagance of of certain aspects of the homes and like the kitchen. She's a big kitchen director too. She loves kitchens. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that the the bathtub I had to put in because like that's like a that's an iconic image from the only not only because she's so big for the bathtub, but it's like <laughs> I've never seen a bathtub designed in that way. It so is it, so funny. It looks yeah. pretty conducive to sitting, I guess, with the slant, but it's too short. Yeah, yeah you can't ex- overly extend your whole body. You kind of have to like curl up to really utilize the bathtub. Um, <laughs> I know. Also, the town that Kate Winslet's from is just, it's like the perfect, like, small town in England, like, perfect, like, contrast from something like London. Like, it's like the outskirts of London, like, these more, like, down-to-earth, like, real human beings inhabit there. Of course, Jude Law and his kids. Um, (laughs) It's it's so stunning. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you were to house swap with somebody, where would you, what would be, like, your dream destination? Would it be this it's cottage? Sure it's always Paris. Like I don't, it, I don't uh, need a house. Just like I'll swap with someone in Paris. Yeah, the apartments in Paris are notoriously just incredible to look at too. So that yeah. that'd be great. But like uh, also home in like Italy or like the south of France or like you know those very quintessential like holiday towns. Yeah. Like, you know, did you see the second season of White Lotus? Yeah. Like that palazzo that they rent when they Oh gosh, yeah. Like could I can't even like I would love to one day stay in a home like that just Yes. Yeah. During a vacation because I mean that's like extravagant living but it's so decadent and mm-hmm. tasteful. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah, I even like uh, when they're, I think F. Murray Abraham and his family are trying to track down his relatives and they finally find him in like this countryside home. I don't know if you remember. Yes. Yeah, they're so mean, but I'm like the house and that property is just incredible. It's like that Italian rural area where it's just still just as gorgeous as everything else. Yeah, and they're like assholes too. I know. (laughs) It's so funny. Um, (laughs) So yeah, we had to have a Nancy Myers movie on there. Um, th- Sadly, this is another film that's that's very obscure. But um, Jake, I feel horrible that I haven't seen like <laughs> any of the movies you're bringing up. <laughs> it's all good. I, I, I'm just, I, I'm honestly I'm just like these are really narcissistic picks because they're all just like my favorite films. Um, oh, but this is the point of the. Absolutely. Yeah. Another year is a is a movie from Mike Lee and it's about an older couple sort of dealing with retirement and kind of aging and all that good stuff you'll see in Mike Lee films. But this movie has the most stunning because what they do for a living is that they're harvesters and they have an incredible you can see on the right. They have a garden um, very close to their home. And what they do is harvest crops and vegetables and stuff and they sell them to like local farmers markets and like mm-hmm. restaurants and all that stuff which is like my that would be like my dream job if i were to do anything else honestly i, I, mean, I have no background yeah. in any of this stuff but just like the therapeutic aspect another of life. yeah in another life yeah that would be like that would be the route i would go with um 
and this takes place in like London, England. Like it's it's a it's an urban setting, but for some reason they have like a really decadent and and giant garden where they harvest crops. Um, but oftentimes well, you see on the expected this to be in an urban place. I know, right? Yeah, and like the beyond the fog, I think there's like you can see a lot of like homes and skyscrapers and stuff, which is um, which is interesting, like contrast in the film, but um, but also their kit. They, there's a lot of cooking in this movie, um, and the kitchen that they have. Um, I just love the wood, like the whole, like the wood island and the uh, the wood countertops, and like a nice little stove put in there, and everything looks really vintage. Um, and I don't know. I just love. I just love wine drinking, cooking as as sort of a mood in your film. And there's a lot of that in this movie. And just, you have to be comfortable in this kitchen. And they really they really pulled it off. And like everything is placed so in such a particular way. And there's always like fresh basil and certain herbs lying around. It's like it's like my dream kitchen. And like picture like right outside their kitchen is like two sliding doors. And there's another garden and like outdoor seating area. Um, and I love urban homes, especially in like Brooklyn, New York, or like in London that are kind of like these, these really closed in narrow homes that are like sandwiched between two like apartment buildings or something. Um, but they still manage to have like a really gorgeous interior exterior combo from like yeah. the kitchen, kitchen to the backyard with a little picnic table and garden and all that stuff. So, so yeah, like another year would probably be my dream, like retirement home let's say um we could just kind of settle down and look all day yes yeah i dream of like my future home all the time or like i maybe i spend too much time on pinterest and like (laughs) (laughs) reading like ad and all of that watching youtube videos from like interior designers and stuff but like i'm so here for it like it's so lived in it's so cozy. I love, love, love the wood, the explosive mm-hmm. shelving, that coral paint. They yes. look so happy in that photo. They it's are, so yeah. And the thing about this film is that they're such a content couple, and all of the all of the conflict comes from like their family members and their friends that like intruding on their lives. Um, so, so it's like, oh god, it's like it's like a dream scenario of like post. Uh, post like 50 or 60 years old just living that way it's like oh um I hope we can have that yeah yeah i know god i really do um so this is a pick that i would have picked myself if you hadn't picked it actually is the law goodbye um and i, I assume you were talking about his apartment building so i threw oh, that yeah. in there but also the beachside home um in malibu is another one so so yeah, but that that apartment building still exists, by the way. So, oh really? Should, I'll die. Yeah, I'll t- I I sought it out last year, so I'll definitely take you to see it next time you're oh, in town. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yep, it's still there. I, I'm not sure if it's modified, honestly, or not, but it's still amazing to see it in the flesh. Yeah. yeah. Um, I maybe you'll have more to say. The thing with okay, like, if I have to be honest, like, I've seen The Long Goodbye once, and I was, like, blown away by it, and I loved it immediately, and, like, this movie immediately went on my list of, like, homes that I want to move into, um, but this movie, like, I don't remember it, 
I don't, I remember the feeling that it elicited and I remembered loving, again, it's like a very, um, like sun filled, light filled home. You have this like stunning balcony. It was like very vintage feeling with the furniture and like not super put together. Yeah. That's just like, that's all I aspire to have in my home. Like I just want, it it just felt like a, a place that was very, like, I don't know, for me with interior design, it's like I want the pieces that I have to evoke a feeling or a memory and, you know, some ugly pot, let's say, like that maybe I got from. Here's a good example. Like my brother, when he was in like elementary or middle school, like took pottery classes and oh. he made like the funniest pots. Like he made the funniest like clay pieces and he like I have them like I have the vases that he made back then and like I use them all the time and like visually they might not be attractive to anyone but like I think they're so funny and they look funny and I know that he made them when he was like a wee boy and (laughs) like they mean so much yeah that's awesome just translates to like how I feel about homes is like, I don't want, I guess you have to have money to do this. So like, you know, I can't say that everything in, in my apartment, like stays true to this idea, but like there are pieces that like had a life and that are associated with like memories. Mm-hmm. And that's just what it, I immediately thought of when I saw the long goodbye. It's like, it's just, does that make any sense? No, it's absolutely. Like, that's like yeah. the feeling that I have when I think of that movie. No, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say is that his 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 apartment is unpolished in such a perfect way where you could tell like certain items have such like deep meaning to him and him alone that we don't fully understand. And I, I don't have any specific examples, but like his kitchen is unorganized, like his whole living space and everything. Um, things are just placed in a really wonky way. And like, I mean, it, like you were saying how their environment should mirror like the personality of the character. That's what it does for uh, Elliot Gold's character in this movie. Um, Cause he's just sort of, he's sort of just a scramble, scramble, uh, scramble brain sort of guy. Yeah, Like he's all over the place. And that's like what his apartment looks like. And I just love like the, the cat food. Possible way. Yeah, exactly. Like it's sloppy in a good way. And that's why it's a great pick. Um, I also love this, the high rise aspect, like the elevator looks almost like futuristic um, for the time, at least that it, that it came out in the seventies. And it's, it's kind of a weird contrast of like, it's you're isolated, but he he has like immediate neighbors for like directly next to him. Um, Mm -hmm. Like all just like topless women. So it's just so funny in that way. Yeah. And like, can't wait to see the place. Yeah, it's so cool to, to see in the flesh. Yeah. Um, and like even besides like this, the LA architecture in this movie is just stunning. Like there's a lot of houses on in Malibu that are depicted here. And um and they're kind of the same where like the interiors are just like really like cramped, and there's just a there's like an abundance of furniture, which I think is really common in like LA households. Where really? they're just they're just too much. I mean, I don't know personally, but like I've from what I've seen, yeah, like just a, yeah. an abundance of, 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 yeah, like excess, like which is like 
perfectly describes LA in a nutshell. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's like a, um, that we needed to talk about long goodbye. I would have brought it up if you hadn't, honestly, um, I need and I, watch it like immediately. It's one of my favorite movies ever. It's just so perfect in every way. And I, like you were talking about neo noir, like that's probably the greatest of all time. If if, if you ask me, not not like erotic thriller, but just neo like the hybrid of like absurdism and and noirs and stuff. So yeah, uh, yeah. Is it uh, a Criterion? Do you uh, know? It's, it's not, but I, I have a Blu-ray of it here somewhere. Um, yeah. You could find it. You could find it. Maybe if you come to Amoeba next time, you'll you could find it there. Get to the list to buy there. <laughs> yeah, uh, this was my pick. We talked. You you brought up Eyes Wide Shut before, um, and this is an oh, obvious. This is yeah. This is an obvious New York pick, um, and I I picked uh, uh, the shots of him obviously dwelling on the streets um and funny enough i don't know if you know this about the film but kubrick didn't shoot anything on location and all of these new york shots are completely um constructed by hand from set designers like every single exterior none of it was shot in new york city i think this was shot in like europe somewhere um that's crazy yeah but i just love the christmas aesthetic in new york it's just so it feels so artificial in some ways, but it's just gorgeous to look at. Like Why you can watch shoot it in New York. That was, I mean, Kubrick's method was like, he didn't love to shoot on location. I don't know if he ever did shoot on location in any movies that I could think of. Um, you know, like if you think of the shining or something like that was all constructed to fit like his yeah, sensibilities. Use the Stanley hotel. No. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the, yeah, like you could easily shoot this on New York at, at like, yeah, I don't know, like three in the morning and pull it off. But I think he just had a particular look he wanted for New York that he wasn't getting like shooting outside there. It's it's such a Kubrick thing to do. Um, but then the interiors of the, the, the apartments that I, I'm not sure. I think this is of one of Tom Cruise's patients that's like dying um, and he's going to visit her one last time. Um, it's like this the narrow hallways and the there's like there's art plastered on like every corner um but yeah and uh it's like that upper class new york elitism kind of personified in these apartments um which obviously fit the whole tone and the themes of the film but like i'm just so fascinated by and again you could have picked so many different stanley kubrick movies for this but eyes wide shut is the the layout of everything and like the jazz club and obviously the orgy set piece also uh-huh. could have been, could have been included but it's that extravagance of wealth depicted in New York City I I just I'm really fascinated by and and yeah this is my favorite Kubrick movie as, as well so I just had to bring it up so the interiors uh, are just so beautiful like the molding yes. on the walls and like that pillar isn't that where he lives like that's not the home of the patient. Is it not? I, th- I I I don't know. I, I might have been confused on that, but uh, his apartment's similar, so it. let's just call it his apartment then. Yeah, you could um, be right. I I see it, and I think his apartment, but maybe I don't remember. Yeah, I, I watched this movie around Christmas, so it's kind of fresh. But I just remember he was visiting a patient, and there's like a comically long hallway that he has to go down to get to her. 
So that's yeah. what I thought of. But this also could be their home, and their home is just gorgeous as well. Um, him and Nicole Kidman's house uh, apartment in New York. Uh, yeah, and I, like I said, I just love New York architecture and and how how they manage to make it feel extravagant in such a condensed city. I always think is really impressive. Uh, and the fake streets, of course, it's just fucking crazy. Where did uh, I can't believe I didn't know that. <laughs> it's wild because you wouldn't. It, you know how much money it would have cost to to construct an entire like city block that's fake. Yeah, it's, it's just crazy to me. Yeah, but uh, to shoot in New York, but New York is not New York enough. I know that's insane. <laughs> I don't even know if he tried to shoot in New York. I just know he refused to go and even do anything there, which. God, it's so funny. <laughs> um, so I'm unfamiliar with this movie, so you'll have to... I, I chose the two most aesthetically pleasing shots I could from this film. Um, Comfort of Strangers is an insane movie. Um, kind of like a... I guess you would call it an erotic thriller where like a couple is on vacation and they meet... Um, I forget the actor's name, who's like just weird. Like he's a very strange man and he like invites them into their home and where he lives. What is this character's, what is the actor? He's like so well known. Like I should know. Like Christopher Walken? Yes. Christopher <laughs> Walken is like the weirdo in this movie who's like very wow. off-putting. Um, Love that. Typical for him, I would say. But Absolutely. This movie, it just, this is... I, I guess I'm not, I don't have much new to say that like we haven't already said, but like, again, it takes place in um, Italy, if I'm not mistaken. Looks like it, yeah. Where they live is like, it just does not look like it should be a house. Like it has this insane balcony porch situation that's like inside the house, which is why I say it's a balcony, but it's like so expansive with like pillars that overlook the city and it has like a very Moroccan feel to it. And you have like the wealth that comes through in that house and the very like warm neutral tones, Mm. very antique. And I was just very taken aback in a good way when I saw that house because, you know, the reasons that I just said, but again, it's like that very European, beautiful, historic home that like makes sense for the characters because they're very you know they're these wealthy uh people who are kind of what's the word you know there's something like aloof about them i guess and Mm -hmm. the house kind of just speaks to that a little bit where it's like so extravagant and I just love it. Like, I guess you just have to see it, but I'm actually seeing a floor plan of it online. Oh, wow. It's just like, think like the interior of a church almost. Like there's like stained glass windows Uh and like those insane, like all shapes to the windows. The colors are so vibrant. I just, you really get like Moroccan vibes from it in Italy, I guess, in this home. That's amazing. it's a, it's a weird movie. Like the first time I watched it, I was so like floored by it. And then the second time I watched it, I really was disappointed. Um, hmm. I need to rewatch it again because I don't remember much of it. But it's 
Paul Schrader, right? Directed yes. that movie. Yes. Yeah, that's why it's a weird one. Yeah, <laughs> it's been on my list for a while, so I'll, I'll definitely get to that. And it's also a Criterion. Oh, okay, perfect. Yeah, I'm sure there's some weird gender dynamic stuff in here that do- doesn't age super well, but because <laughs> oh, yeah, it's definitely. Paul Schrader, but yeah, it's super. It's kind of uncomfortable. It's very. Mm. But it's just it's so beautiful. Okay, great. Yeah. That's definitely an incentive to watch it, especially just this how home sounds just stunning. Um great. The comfort of strangers. Uh oh, this is I love this one. Um so oh my gosh, it's been on my list for so long. Yeah, I I definitely recommend this one. Uh one from the heart from Francis Ford Coppola. This is sort of his career ending sort of movie because this movie was so over budget and the sets were so extravagant and large that the budget of this movie just was at capacity and the movie bombed at the box office. It's kind of what we were saying about Babylon. It's like that a tour big swing that dazzles the eyes and is just... um I don't know. It just, it's too, it might be too overstimulating for a lot of people to enjoy. And that's kind of why it bombed. Um, but one from the heart is just an amazing ode to like backstage musicals. Like we were talking about with La La Land, sort of his ode to like Manelli movies and singing in the rain and just the, how the set feels so artificial on purpose. And it embraces like that artifice of being like on a soundstage and all that, which I just love in film. Um, so it's kind of meta in that way, but as you could see, like just the sets and the colors and the um, the costuming on Nasaza Kinski there, um, it's just this movie is takes place in sort of fictitious Las Vegas. So there's like that, there's that over extravagance of lighting and and like just neon just bursting on every frame, um, and yeah. God, this movie's right up your alley, honestly. I think you're going to love it when you see it. And it's just, it's one of the most underrated movies ever, like, particularly because of the design of every set piece in this movie is so gorgeous to look at. Um, and the movie as a whole is just, is just so sweet and has a big heart and everything. And I, I just love this movie. So I had to highlight it. Um, and I just love, like, kind of when directors recreate cities. Um, and so obviously it's, it's like a, a backstage production kind of implementing mm-hmm. like certain like streets or buildings or architecture or even interiors of say Las Vegas in this film. Um, there's like a campy aspect to it. Um, especially like it was done a lot in the eighties. Um, I just love that stuff. So um, it's gosh. Not thing about showgirls. Yeah. It's, it's, it's similar to showgirls in that respects for sure. Um capturing that just overwhelming feeling that you are when you're in Las Vegas or, or any just brightly lit town where it's like performance art and, 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 uh, and stuff like that. And like showgirls and that whole aspect of performance in, in Vegas. I, I love when that's captured on film. I don't know. I really need to watch this. <laughs> this was like one of the first things that I added to my watch list. Really? Yeah, when I made a letterbox and I just have never gotten to it. I think it like wasn't streaming for a while or something. Hmm. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. I don't know where you'd find it. I have a DVD 
myself. I would definitely uh, purchase it. It's so worth it. Yeah, I, I would love definitely put it high on your watch list, especially since you're a big, you're into showgirls. You'll love just the whole look of this film. Uh, and this sounds like Kinski. I just, I, God, I just love her so much. Uh, another movie. I'm, what are you saying? Sorry. Do we have a lot more? We have two more each, I think. Oh, not bad. Yeah, we'll um, be going. <laughs> it's going to take it longer than I thought. No. Um, I just feel like I'm getting repetitive with what I'm saying, but these movies just like all the ones that I've like listed are basically all ones that I just like want to move into. And Practical Magic like is the same thing, like the inside of that house. Again, it's just like, it's so old. Like look at the architecture there. Like you mm. who would ever build a house like that today where you have again, like that little Rapunzel tower, mm-hmm. with, like the balcony at the top. And it's, it's so homey inside with like the older furniture and the sisters who live there. It's just, I wish I could move into this house. Like this is one of the, it's one of those homes that like, it's not some insane movie, um, you know, but it's such a beautiful inside with like the built-ins and like exposed, uh, you know, plate holders in the kitchen or beautiful wallpaper with old couches and like built-in bookshelves and beamed ceilings. Mm. It's just like my dream house. Where's the is where's the house supposed to be located here? Um, let me see Google. It almost looks like it could be in Maine or like some East Coast. Uh, I don't know why. I think that mainly because of the lighthouse uh, look on the top there. I don't know. Well, the land was rented on San Juan Island in Washington, so it's like uh, a fictitious town. Got where, it. Where it's located. I need to see this film. I've heard it's such a great, like, cult classic. And oh, Nicole yeah. Kidman, obviously. Yeah. Mm. Sandra Bull. No, it's so much fun. And, like, I feel like you'll really like the interior design of the movie. It's just so... Mm. Such a, like, 50s home, I feel like, with the... Maybe that's not the right decade. I don't know. <laughs> it's just stunning. <laughs> Is there it like a so much feeling? Yeah. Is there like a gothic aspect to the interiors? Because it looks like you can almost it's like witchcraft almost is like makes its yeah. way into the designs of this house. Like I don't know if you've seen like Ginger Snaps or any of those like modern uh mm-hmm. vampire movies, but like this kind of reminds me of that, you know, late nineties horror aesthetic a little bit. Yeah. There's um I, maybe there are some elements of like gothic. I mean, of course, the architecture of the house like seeps into the interior as well. But mm-hmm. it's just like it's filled with plants. Like it has like those, you know, those like 1930s style Tiffany pendant lamps with like the glass like panes. Um, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Just, Sounds familiar. It's, there's like one photo that I wish I could. Um, like show you that I'm like looking at right now. It's just like a little mini greenery in there with like shelves filled with like pots, terracotta pots with plants. Oh, wow. Okay. It's it's just, it's very vintage. Like it's very nostalgic. 
and so cozy. Mm, I have to watch this movie. Yeah. Really do. Yeah. I really, yeah. It's high on my list. Um, all right. Okay. Cook the thief, his wife and her lover. Um, this one's so self-explanatory. I honestly won't say much about it. Um, but if you've seen the movie and if you've seen any other of Peter Greenway, who's the director, a lot of his work is built on architecture and symmetry. He's obsessed with symmetrical imagery. And a lot of that is incorporated to the design and the whole design and kind of the framing of this movie takes place at a restaurant, um, mm-hmm. sort of a post-apocalyptic um, government uh, supervised restaurant. So you can feel this kind of impending control over everything. It almost feels like, oh, fuck. I lost it. What happened? Wait, while you do that, I'm going to get my charger because my laptop is close. To oh, yeah, go ahead. We'll take a little breather. As I was saying, it all takes place in this kind of post-apocalyptic government government sort of building. Mm-hmm. Um, I said it better before. I don't know what I said, but uh, there's mm-hmm. the there's there's an open. It kind of evokes Wes Anderson, where there's this open sort of aspect to where everything feels larger than life. Um, and obviously, you can see he plays a lot around with colors and like monochromatic wallpaper, just as drenched in all red and there's a free nature to the production design of this movie where the colors and the open spaces really evoke the characters emotions you know it's a love story kind of based in this post-apocalyptic capitalist obsessed world um which is i love post-apocalyptic uh design mainly because you have like all the freedom in the world to design whatever the hell you want and Peter Greenway, it just he he loves he loves kind of like dreary, but also colorful uh, aesthetics, like kind of marrying um, and tried to find a, a midpoint between the bleak and the beautiful, which I love. And yeah, there's like there's just an amazing uh, diversity of color palettes and just um, he really sticks with wide shots. so You can really get the sense of the architecture and the again, the open spaces and um, the movies about extravagance and um, the abundance of wealth and, and everything. So it's one of my favorite movies of all time. So I, again, if you haven't seen 
Cook the Thief is a god, the title is a mouthful, but the Cook the Thief's <laughs> wife and her lover uh, is a masterpiece, in my opinion. And gosh, just just look at the, the imagery here. It just, I just, symmetry, I, I have OCD tendencies, and sometimes symmetry just really calms me in, in some weird way. I don't oh. know. Um, Organized and clean. Yeah. Organization is keeping keeping the image just pristine and perfect. I just, I love that. So uh, I think this is your last one, um, which we already talked about, but. Uh, yeah, there's not a whole lot to say about this. I feel like besides like we, we've talked about it between the two of us we have, and I don't know how much we like had in the podcast, but like the movie just is like so incredible with how it plays with the primary colors and mm-hmm. um, it's so whimsical I feel like in its design like there's there's no place where it's just so colorful I feel like and it's really like that just comes out in like the home for example that like Emma Stone lives in uh, like with the roommates like it's so colorful and filled with patterns and you really like just by looking at that place and knowing like the people who live inside, like you don't even need to know the people because you see the home and you see how colorful it is and all the references to like movies and posters that are on the walls. Mm -hmm. And you know that the people who live there like are optimistic and they're dreamers and artists who just like want to make an impact in that field and like make it in Hollywood and everything. And they have so many heroes, you know, from like old movies and actors and actresses and everything. And I just, the movie does so good with color and like how, you know, it opens with Emma Stone wearing like the white button up shirt, but then like as she meets Ryan Gosling, you see her in like, really bright colors like in that green dress in the picture here or like the yellow one that she wears in uh in meeting him like at that outdoor pool party and like they're just so representative of the characters i feel like this is more about color than it is like sure the interior but again like production design it's all Mm -hmm. the same i feel like but oh i just love this movie so much it's so visually appealing and I love that you can like visit some of the places like that are in the movie. Can't I mean the, like, the Griffith Observatory and stuff like that? Yeah, I've never been inside. Obviously, like I've seen, I've been outside, but never inside. It's just such a like fantasy. Even though it's mm-hmm. it takes place in Hollywood, it's just not real life. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um... And it kind of calls back to like in the fifties, there was rebel without a cause had like a major set piece was at the uh, Griffith observatory. So it kind of felt like he was paying ode to that there. Um, but well, yeah, like, no, what about the Rialto? like was that, is that still around the what the Rialto? Oh yeah. I think so. Yeah. I've never gone to visit, but I'm sure you could take like a whole La La Land tour of all this <laughs> Of all the apartments and stuff. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, the colors are just stunning in this movie, too. And even, like, I don't know how he did it, but, like, the sunset sequence where he's on the pier, I think it's, like, City of Stars. Real real sunsets. 
Yeah, it it rarely looks like that in LA though. That's why I was like skeptical. But maybe they did some stuff in post. But like, oh yeah, for sure. Know, I'm sure you've read about it. But like in that dance sequence, like between the two of them after that first party, yeah. like they practiced that for a long time, and I think they shot it over like two days. If I'm not mistaken, maybe I'm confusing mm. that with the opening sequence. But like they had to wait for like the exact right moment to get that light with the sunset in a oh yes that wasn't even even shot at sunset i'm pretty sure it was shot at sunrise it must have been yeah because there's i think so yeah but it's like crazy like that's also so nerve-wracking because like if you get it wrong like if something goes wrong and like nature is not on your side like what do you do Mm -hmm. then the whole production schedule Oh yeah, you're you're fucked. That's like calls back to Babylon when they're trying to get that shot off by sundown. And yeah, it's like incredible. a major race against the clock sort of thing. I love that. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I there's some waiting for Brad Pitt to like faint in that scene. Pass out. Yeah, he's like blackout drunk, and he somehow like musters up the strength to do the scene. You're like, holy shit. I know. It's, it's so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, La La Land's obviously gorgeous looking. Yeah, this I have that scene, the final dance sequence, which is all takes place on like a soundstage sort of thing, and that it kind of felt like he was doing American in Paris again. And mm-hmm. yeah, I love that. Yeah, the the blue the blue hues, I guess, is what I captured here. So was, sad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so melancholy. Yeah, it's very melancholy. Um. So that's your last. My last is another obvious one, but I just had to talk about Blade mm-hmm. Runner because um, it's again the quintessential design. Um, I love the the marrying of the East and the West in this. You know, you got Tokyo aesthetic, but also the LA aesthetic sort of converging, um, and obviously a very bleak and sort of wet future that look at really Scott envisioned for this movie, but. Um, it's just so striking on every level. Um, and the there's obviously on the right, you have the Tyrell design um, from the very beginning of the film and sort of that sunset kind of bouncing off on all of the pillars and the almost looks Egyptian like in the background with like the with the it kind of evokes like that Egyptian pyramid uh, that are kind of silhouetted in the back, which I just love that. Um, and obviously you have the street sequences. There's I just love the. Again, we're talking about neo-noir, and this is like the quintessential neo-noir um, of just there's so much steam um, coming just in every frame. And also the the designs of the cars. Yeah, the neon um, that's just drenched this whole movie um, and the cars that look um, dirty, but also futuristic and, and cool in that way. But everything, it just feels on the ground, especially just dirty and wet and foggy, which is again, fits the mood of this movie so well, but also is a great contrast with like this corporation, this major corporation that sort of oversees this entire world. And it kind of evokes that, like that power dynamic so well, um, just with the, just the design aspects of this movie. So yeah. And obviously it's influenced just so many movies coming uh, coming after that, you know, and sort of these sci-fi movies that wanted to do that, cyberpunk is what they call it sort of look so so yeah a very typical sort of film bro pick of me to do this but it's blade runner so i had to i did it for lucas i guess (laughs) because he loves that he loves that 
aesthetic a lot and i do too so yeah that's all of them and obviously like i said before like there's probably like 20 more that i could pick um if if we were to do like a longer list or like a part two or something there's yeah. just so many honestly sorry i keep yeah. yawning i like haven't eaten today oh I- no god yeah we'll wrap up soon as we've been going for a long time i we we'll both have- haven't talked in a second i feel like we had to catch up yeah, no, that's half of what we were doing. No, I'm happy to do that for sure. I just, I, I don't, I feel bad if I'm keeping you from. Oh no, you're not. Your, your life. It, no, God, absolutely. It got dark there. I didn't. Even, shit. I know. I like need to go turn <laughs> on a light. <laughs> oh man, um, but thank you again so much for doing this. I, I, I had a, a great time geeking out about this stuff. Oh me too. Um, I never. Uh, there's honestly no one else I could think of that would do the, just talk about set design for like two hours so anytime if you ever want i appreciate it uh, i think we'll have to yeah uh, i because as we were doing this and like you would mention something that would make me think of another movie and i would like shit i just i could have talked about blue velvet even more um for the, isabella rossellini's apartment in that movie is just so perfect yeah. um yeah so we could go on probably but um, but I yeah, have to, like, I have to watch more and like be better and like more diligent about taking notes because <laughs> sometimes I like overthink what I write on Letterboxd and I should just not care and instead just write down notes for myself about like what I love about the interior or, mm. or like something and just use it as like a notebook. No, because absolutely. Yeah. There's so many to talk about. Yeah, because I felt like throughout this podcast, I was like repeating the same sort of terminology over and over again. Me too. Mainly because I just don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just kind of talking about the things like from my perspective. But yeah, I think notes is a good idea for next time. Um, But yeah, that's that's going to do it again. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you for having me on. Yeah. And thank you guys for listening to this. If you made it through then you, you obviously like production design as much as we do. So we appreciate that. And, and yeah, have a, have a good day and keep watching movies, keep logging them on letterbox and let me know. What, I don't know who I'm talking to anymore at this point, but <laughs> the listeners. Yeah. yeah. I felt like I was talking to you cause you were, we were talking about letterbox, but yeah, listeners keep watching movies and I appreciate you guys. Oh.